It's Thursday, March 5th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the 2020 race today, and the Democratic candidates left standing are now racing for her support. Then, countries are announcing big plans to cushion the economic blow of the COVID-19 outbreak. But some economists say these big policy changes might not actually help. And finally, the U.S. is hoping to put the war in Afghanistan in the rearview mirror. As it turns out, spoiler alert, that's easier said than done. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cambria Hotels. Little luxuries, big difference. Today, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, reporters set up shop outside Elizabeth Warren's door. Her message? Something analysts said might happen after her big Super Tuesday loss. So I announced this morning uh, that I am suspending my campaign for president. The Massachusetts senator made a name for herself during the race for strong debate performances and dense policy proposals. I have a plan for Medicare for all. Now, I've got a plan to restore opportunity to every corner of this country. It's time to reform the system from front to back. And I have a plan. She was sometimes compared to Bernie Sanders. Both backed Medicare for all and were tough critics of Wall Street. But today, Warren admitted that overlap with Sanders had become an issue in a narrowing presidential field. I was told at the beginning of this whole undertaking that there are two lanes, a progressive lane that Bernie Sanders is the incumbent for and a moderate lane that Joe Biden is the incumbent for. And there's no room for anyone else in this. I thought that wasn't right, but evidently I was wrong. Now the race for her endorsement begins. Both Biden and Sanders have reportedly spoken with Warren since Super Tuesday, when she walked away with zero wins. But today, she said she's not ready to say who she's backing. She was also asked today how it feels to see the field winnowed down to two white men. One of the hardest parts of this is all those picky promises and all those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years. Um, That's going to be hard. We've got one correction to that. Don't forget that Hawaii Congressman Tulsi Gabbard is still in the mix. She hasn't been on the debate stage since November. But technically, just so you know, Gabbard hasn't given up yet. We're continuing to see concerning headlines about the COVID-19 outbreak. That's the disease caused by coronavirus. In the U.S. today, all eyes were on a cruise ship off the coast of California. Officials are refusing to let it dock because the ship is linked to a patient diagnosed with COVID-19, who has since passed away. California has declared a state of emergency, and officials say they're looking for thousands of other people who were previously on the ship to make sure they're all right. And now test kits are being flown out to the ship, delivered by helicopter, to test a small group of passengers and crew who are showing flu-like symptoms. Meanwhile, around the world, hundreds of millions of kids were told to stay home from school to avoid catching the illness. This slow but sure shutdown we're seeing across the board is also already having an impact on the global economy. And countries are now making moves to give people a boost. That's what we want to talk about today for Skim Money Thursday. In South Korea, which is the hardest country hit after China, 
The government announced it would spend over $16 billion to help local governments, businesses, and people recover. Through things like tax cuts and cheap loans to keep businesses afloat. And Hong Kong's government says it'll hand out about $1,200 to each permanent adult resident to encourage people to shop. That's a $9 billion total payout. The central reserve banks of Australia and China have cut interest rates to support their economies. The Bank of Japan, Bank of England, and the European Central Bank are expected to make similar moves. That's the route the U.S. took, too. On Tuesday, the U.S. Federal Reserve slashed interest rates in its first emergency rate cut since the financial crisis of 2008. Other paths the U.S. might take? Yesterday, the House agreed to an $8.3 billion emergency spending package to deal with COVID-19. That's over three times what the Trump administration originally requested. The money is expected to go toward vaccine research and providing medical supplies. Earlier this week, President Trump urged House Democrats to pass a one-year payroll tax cut. Snaps for bigger paychecks. And reportedly, the administration also might use a national disaster relief fund to pay back doctors and hospitals who treat uninsured COVID-19 patients. In times of crisis, both health-wise and economically, a lot of these ideas sound great. But according to some economists, not so much. They say that, sure, you can cut rates or give cash handouts all you want, but there actually has to be stuff to buy. Remember our old friend supply and demand? Well, a lot of these countries dealing with COVID-19 need each other for their supply chains. Like, if a factory can't get the parts it needs to make things like cars or phones because the other factory that makes those parts shuts down because of the outbreak, then it's possible there won't be enough supply to meet the demand. Economists also say that while a lot of people are making their COVID-19 prep shopping list now and going out to buy a bunch of supplies, all that could change if people start losing their jobs are too afraid to go out, or if stores start closing. And consumption, which represents 70% of the U.S. economy, could take a serious nosedive. So while these moves may be helpful, economists and the world are on watch to see if any of them can actually get at the root of the problem. For more on how COVID-19 could impact your wallet, head on over to theskim.com money. Coming up, after the U.S. and Taliban signed a peace deal, saying goodbye is hard to do. We'll tell you why after the break. Business travel doesn't have to be boring. Cambria hotels are designed for the modern business traveler, offering guests a distinct experience with the simple, guilt-free indulgences that make business travel better. Think sipping a craft beer on a rooftop patio, Bluetooth mirrors in spa-like bathrooms, and locally inspired art and design. Cambria hotels are located across the U.S., Book now at choicehotels.com slash Cambria. That's choicehotels.com slash C-A-M-B-R-I-A. When it comes to finding peace in Afghanistan, nobody said it was easy. Less than a week after signing a peace deal that could end the longest U.S. war, there's been an uptick in violence there. So what's going on? Let's take it back to the start. The U.S. went to war in Afghanistan after 9-11, targeting al-Qaeda leaders who planned those terrorist attacks and the Taliban leaders who were protecting them. In the almost 20 years since that war started, more than 3,500 American and coalition troops have died. Over 100,000 American troops have deployed to Afghanistan. And the whole thing has cost the U.S. about $2 trillion. But it was starting to look like the war might finally be coming to an end. After more than a year of negotiations, the U.S. and the Taliban signed a major peace deal last Saturday. 
the U.S. promised to start withdrawing troops, a big step toward ending its longest war. And the Taliban agreed to cut ties with terrorist groups and figure out a way to work with the Afghan government. U.S., Afghan, and Taliban leaders thought real change might be coming. Afghanistan's President Ashraf Ghani was pumped and praised the U.S. and the Taliban for striking a deal. Our people can mark it as is the time when our quest for sustainable and dignified peace moved from desirability to feasibility and credibility, both for the living generations and the future generations to come. But that feeling didn't last long. After that peace deal was signed, the Taliban went back to its old ways, attacking Afghan forces. According to a U.S. military official, the Taliban launched 43 attacks on Tuesday alone. So that day, President Trump got on the phone with the Taliban leader to make sure they were on the same page. And afterward, Trump said he still feels good about the deal with the Taliban. I spoke to the leader of the Taliban today. We had a good conversation. Uh, we've agreed there's no violence. We don't want violence. But just hours after that call, the Taliban launched another major attack, killing at least 15 Afghan soldiers in the northern part of Afghanistan. So the U.S. said enough is enough and responded by carrying out its first airstrike since the peace deal was announced. U.S. military leaders said they're still committed to peace in Afghanistan, but they still have to defend their Afghan allies. So yeah, according to this peace deal, the U.S. is supposed to be pulling out of Afghanistan. And yet the U.S. is already being pulled back in. Some Afghans are even making direct appeals to U.S. leaders for help. Yesterday, the annual International Women of Courage Awards were held at the U.S. State Department. One of the honorees was Zarifa Ghaffari. She's the mayor of an Afghan town. Yep, a woman is a mayor in Afghanistan, a country where, under the old Taliban regime, women were disenfranchised. It hasn't been that long since women couldn't go to school, work, or even leave their houses without being fully covered and escorted by a man. And now, Ghaffari said in her speech, Afghan women, some of whom are now running towns, are worried for their futures. She had a message for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and First Lady Melania Trump, who were sitting off to the side. Let me ask for your continued support to ensure that Afghan peace process does not erase the gains that have been made since the dark days of the Taliban regime. There's another reason the U.S. can't quite put Afghanistan behind it, and it dates back to the beginning of the U.S. war there. Today, the International Criminal Court announced it's giving the go-ahead to a formal investigation of possible war crimes. Possible war crimes committed against Afghans by U.S. armed forces and CIA agents. This is a major development in a story concerning a period of war on terror when even a U.S. Senate report found that the U.S. carried out brutal and ultimately ineffective interrogations of Afghan prisoners. The possible crimes here began in 2003. They involve allegations that members of the CIA tortured, raped, and committed other war crimes in Afghanistan during the war on terror. For years, the U.S. response to those allegations had been, let us handle our own affairs. The U.S. says its own judicial process is good enough at investigating and prosecuting crimes committed by U.S. troops. So they don't need global courts like the ICC. This isn't just a Trump administration thing. President George W. Bush's administration also argued that while the U.S. might be able to get behind international courts investigating someone else, 
it was totally not okay being investigated itself. Pompeo has made that case time and time again. Since 1998, the United States has declined to join the ICC because of its broad, unaccountable prosecutorial powers and the threat it poses to American national sovereignty. The U.S. can't exactly block the ICC from doing this investigation. So it's taking a different approach to try to get the ICC off its tail by going after the prosecutor trying to look into these possible crimes. That prosecutor's name is Fatou Bensouda, and she's a name worth remembering. In 2017, she asked permission to formally investigate possible crimes in Afghanistan. Mostly, it was gonna focus on crimes carried out by the Taliban and the Afghan government, which you think maybe the US would be okay with. But because Bensouda would look at possible crimes committed by the CIA and the American military too, the U.S. wasn't into it. Last year, it revoked Bensouda's U.S. visa, and Pompeo threatened the ICC, saying, keep this up and we'll come after you even harder. Now that the ICC is moving ahead with its Afghanistan investigation, we might soon find out how serious he was about those threats. Bensouda hasn't said how she'd handle any more U.S. punishments, but she did say today, this investigation into crimes in Afghanistan is too important to ignore. The many victims of atrocious crimes committed in the context of the conflict in Afghanistan deserve to finally have justice. Today, they are one step closer to that coveted outcome. So what's the skim? Almost 20 years into the U.S. war in Afghanistan, moving on is still easier said than done. There's still hope that the U.S. and the Taliban can actually stick to a peace deal. But recent Taliban attacks against the Afghan government and retaliatory airstrikes by the U.S. suggest these two are better enemies than they are friends. And even if the U.S. can get its troops out of Afghanistan, the legacy of American actions during the long war there could remain a problem for years to come. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 